Thank you, Ruth. So again, I'm uh, Raul Perez. I'm a senior associate pastor here. And uh, just about a month ago, I was telling you all, I'm going to have guest speakers speak over the summer, all summer, so I can kind of focus on our staffing situation. And then about two weeks ago, I was like on this walk and pray. And I was like, why can't I schedule somebody for August 4th? What's going on, God? And I just got this sense, I want you to preach that. So I'm not exactly sure why that is, uh, but I trust that the Lord has prepared something in your hearts and the Lord has prepared a word for me to offer today that is uh, supposed to be. So the, first, the story that the Lord brings to mind uh, when I was thinking, like, how do I get into Jonah 1? was this story about my friend, uh, when I was growing up, his name was Devin. He lived across the street, and he had a lot of great things at his house. And one of those great things was an eight-foot-deep swimming pool. So my sister Gina and I, we'd go over there, and we'd splash around with Devin and his sister JJ. And the thing about it was that I didn't actually know how to swim. At 10 years old, I did not know how to swim. And for me, that actually... That, that wasn't a problem, because I had a workaround. The workaround was this cool new maneuver called the dead man's float. And it was very aptly named in my case. You see, the way it was supposed to work was that when I got in the water, I would hold my breath so that no matter how far down I went, I would just serenely and calmly float back to the top into the dead man's float. And it would go like this. So... This is me with my sister, and she's like, oh, my gosh. So I'm thumbs up with her, and I go down, hold my breath. Mm-hmm. And then I would just, drop my phone. Just like that. It was supposed to be so calm and serene and relaxed, and I was just going to prove my sister wrong. I didn't know I'd have to learn how to swim. But what actually happened, I jumped in, and I'm like, ah, Jada, Jada. And I'm flailing my arms, and I'm trying to grab hold of her, and she's kicking me off because if I grab hold of her, I'm going to bring her down too, right? So I'm flailing, and I'm kicking, and out of the corner of my eye, running out of the house, is Brenda, Devin's mom, fully clothed in her bowling uniform. This was probably this poor woman's Only night out a month to get away from her loving and obedient children. And I just ruined it because she's going to spend it jumping in fully clothed in her bowling uniform to save me, the fool who threw himself overboard. And that's a lot like Jonah. Jonah, a person whose vocation was a prophet a person who's calling and gifting. It was to hear God's messages and go and communicate those messages to whoever God said he was given a message by God to communicate to Jonah's enemies, the Ninevites, a special word from the Lord. You know, that that was not all that uncommon. Jonah was a prophet. It was not uncommon for him to hear a message from the Lord, to see a vision from the Lord, to get direction from the Lord about what to share and who to share it to. Not uncommon. And as a prophet, we know that Jonah was a godly man, for when he was questioned by the sailors in chapter 1, he gives this textbook answer. I don't know if you caught it, but it was in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew, 
and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Or another way to say it, I'm one of God's chosen people. I worship God, Yahweh, and he made everything, including you and me and the sea that we ride on. Jonah clearly knew his stuff. He knew who he was. He knew the faith. He knew who God was, and he lived in God's presence. And yet, despite all this deep personal faith and conviction, he is unable to be obedient and translate that personal faithfulness into the one place that it mattered, into his vocation as a prophet. Vocation. This word, vocation. Vocation is not simply the work you do to make a living. That's a job. Vocation is something else. As children and as youth, our vocation is play. It's discovery. And as adults, that play and discovery seeds and sprouts and grows into who we are, our vocation. Vocation is that thing that you wake up thinking of and fall asleep dreaming about. It's that low-grade hum beneath our lives we hope for someone to just notice and ask about so we could talk their ears off for hours about it. Vocation is the person that you are and called to be that you cannot run from. Vocation is you. See, Jonah was a prophet. It was his vocation. It was him. And yet, when God calls upon him to share a message with the Ninevites, he still tries to run away. He tries to run from the presence of the Lord. He chooses disobedience out of desperation so he doesn't have to share God's message with Nineveh. Can you relate to Jonah's desperation? Being so fear-filled or angry about what God wants you to do that you would rather risk being disobedient and run than simply to do what he asks, even though what he asks lines up with who you are, your vocation. So the question is, can we run from ourselves? What will it take for Jonah to stop running? What will it take for him to lean back into God's presence and to lean back into his vocation? Well, the text is basically a mirror for what we all do. For that moment when we're trying to run from God, You know what it's going to take for God to call us back? It's going to take this fight of wills because we don't give up easily. It will take a show of power to reveal who's really in control. Uh, Growing up, doing driver's ed, did did any of you ever sit in one of those cars that has uh, two steering wheels in it? One passenger? Yeah, yeah. And it's got brakes and gas on, on on both sides? You know, the, the intention for that is that as the student driver drives, the instructor has some access to control in case peril 
were to come down. But the way it's actually supposed to work is that the instructor sits back, you know, arms crossed, not giving away anything. Uh, they sit back and they say, take the left up here. Stop here, parallel park here. They, they, all they're doing is they're giving instructions, and what's supposed to happen is the student is supposed to listen and respond and obey to what the instructor is telling them. The only time that the instructor actually gets involved and grabs the wheel is when the student driver is beginning to merge onto oncoming traffic the wrong way onto the freeway, right? So the instructor then will grab the wheel and slam on the brake and save lives, get the student back on track. This is what God's doing with Jonah. When Jonah runs and hires a whole ship and her crew to take him as far from God as possible, Jonah shows himself to be a prophet getting off track. It's time for God to grab the wheel and to get Jonah back on course. Now, how does God do that? God does that with a storm. A storm so devastating that the seasoned sailors on the boat begin throwing the cargo off, that which is going to be their survival just to try and weather this storm. And through this one move, God grabbing that wheel, God overcomes any sense of control Jonah had believed that he had. Though Jonah asserted his will when he ran away and leveraged his wealth to hire the ship, it was not enough to remain in control. For in this storm... And the storm of our lives, the power of money and self-will, just disappear. We get stripped down bare in the storm, no power left in us to overcome it. We make a mess of the situation to the point where we get hoisted up and thrown overboard into raging waters. Here at the end of our rope, we have no power left. In ourselves. We are forced to reckon with the one power that still holds sway, God's saving grace. God's saving grace or God's salvation is the one power available to all people at all times in all circumstances. Salvation is not simply just the moment someone believes Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, although it is that. No, God's salvation, that wonderful and beautiful power, has been made available to all because God sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to dwell in you. So that you would never be without his presence or without access to saving grace. And here's the thing, here's the mind-blowing thing. That this power, This person of the Holy Spirit is available to us even when we're trying to run from God. Even when we're trying to be, when we are smug believers that refuse to pray to God or ask for help. Or we're being disobedient. Even when we've made a mess of things with family and friends and we are the reason the storm is raging around them. And we get ourselves 
thrown overboard out of desperation, yes, there and especially there, God's salvation is available. And here's what we get faced with. We're either going to accept that salvation or we're not. But we will all face the choice many times in our lives for we all get thrown overboard at some point. It's like having that first child. You know, talk about getting thrown overboard. I had no idea a baby could make me feel so powerless. Why won't you eat? Why won't you sleep? Please stop crying. What do you want from me? Sleeplessness does funny things to people. And I was definitely brought to the edge of myself and pushed over because the truth was I had no idea how to be a dad. No idea. I just knew that I was called to be. So my choice that I was faced with, that I was either going to run away or I was going to stay and face it, ask for help, seek God, and accept his salvation for who he was calling me to be. So when we're thrown overboard in our lives, our, our vocations are put to the test. In some ways, we either show up as we truly are, or we run from who we're called to be. Let me say that again. In the testing, we either show up as we truly are, or we run from who we're called to be. And this perspective comes to light when we contrast Jonah's storm story with Paul's storm story in Acts 27. You see, in Acts 27, Paul the apostle, he's become a prisoner of Rome because he's been out evangelizing as a Christian. He's been worshiping and telling others to worship Jesus Christ. And so he is now being transported by centurions by boat to Rome to stand trial in front of Caesar. But on the way, the ship is pummeled by a multi-day storm to the point where the crew lost all hope of survival. The ship would eventually be destroyed in the storm and the whole crew thrown overboard. See, the setup for both Jonah's storm story and Paul's storm story is vocational. It's vocational because both are in the midst of the storms that they are because of who God called them to be. One, a prophet, and the other, an apostle. In the end, Jonah ran from who he had called to be. Jonah ran from who he was called to be. While Paul showed up as he truly was. The question is how? How did Paul show up? When you contrast the stories, there are so many similarities, but there's three places in particular where it departs. For Paul shows up in obedience, in prayerfulness, and in preaching the gospel. So let's look at those. Obedience. In contrast to Jonah, who ran, we know, in disobedience, Paul commits to do God's will in any circumstances. 
whether in chains or free, Paul will go to Rome to go before Caesar to share his faith because that's what God has called him to do as an apostle. Paul is obedient to God's call. Prayer. In Jonah's story, Jonah does not pray. The only, one who, the only ones who pray in Jonah 1 here are the other sailors, and they pray to a pantheon of gods. Jonah does not pray. In contrast, Paul is the only one on a ship of 276 men that does pray. And he prays to the Lord all night through one night for God's rescue for their situation. Which leads us to the final, preaching the gospel. Jonah, he simply gives this rote and wooden recitation of who he is. You can almost hear him kind of mumbling it. I'm, I'm a Hebrew, and I believe in God, creator of heaven and earth. I mean, you can almost see he's just kind of like getting it out. In contrast, Paul testifies to his hopeless sailors the gospel truth that an angel had visited him in prayer the night before, and this is what the angel said. Do not be afraid. For God has given the lives of all who sail with you. In essence, I will save everyone on the ship. And Paul, he preaches this. He preaches God's salvation to them. And as if to solidify that, his faithfulness in God's promise, he blesses some bread that they had on the boat, and he breaks it, and he feeds the men with it, as if to say, the Lord is with us. His promises are true. Believe in him. And we will do that together this morning. Breaking bread, receiving into ourselves the promise of God, like those sailors. So Paul, he shows up in his vocation. He shows up authentically himself in obedience and in prayer and in preaching the gospel truth. What's interesting in both of these stories is that all the men on both the ships are saved. We just saw that in Paul's story. All 276 men's lives are saved at the word of the, uh, the angel. And in Jonah's story, all the sailors, after throwing Jonah overboard and seeing how that actually calmed the sea, greatly fear, and revere the Lord God. So much so that they stop what they're doing and they begin sacrificing to God and making vows to God. Through Jonah, the men receive salvation though Jonah was disobedient, though he was prayerless, and though he did not preach to them the word of God. That sounds a lot closer to all of us, right, than, than Paul. And yet, God shows that he's in control and he will still save lives. So what is, what is the contrast trying to show us? It's trying to show us this, that God doesn't want what you do. God wants who you are. 
God has called each one of us specifically and given us vocations that sit in us, that seed in us, that are sprouting in us. And God is calling us to allow that to come to the surface and just be who you are. Yes, that's my son. Yes, it is. (laughs) So here's the thing I want to say about that. Being who you are. Because I'd like to suggest to you that the times you've been at the ends of your ropes, desperate beyond hope, suffering without end in sight, and thrown overboard without a life jacket, these are the moments that are actually revealing and defining your vocation. They are defining your call. Just like Jesus' salvation is made available to us through his suffering, through his vocation, so also our vocation is defined and made powerful to others through our suffering. Your suffering is not something to be ashamed of. No, it's something to grab hold of and to let God transform it to be something powerful so that it may be salvation for others. Two months ago, Sarah signed up our boys for swimming lessons. And it was eight lessons over the course of four weeks. And Solomon, he seemed to enjoy the classes. You know, first kind of putting his feet in and then kind of getting in and doing the exercises, you know, putting the floaties on and these kinds of things. He was growing in confidence. But Elias, he would not get in the water. He refused to get into the water. And it became like this running joke at the end of those uh, swimming lesson days where I'd be like, so did he get in the water today? And Sarah says no. And I think, well, there goes 50 bucks. But for their eighth and final session, the boys were going to be awarded certificates and they would become minnows for going through the swim lessons. And so the night before, Solomon actually asked me, Dad, will you come to our swim lessons? We're getting a certificate. And so I'm like, yes, I will be there. So we all show up as a family, and they go and change, and I'm sitting out there by the pool thinking, you know, the running joke's in my head, you know, Elias is not going to get in the pool. And so that's just what I was expecting. But... You know, I think maybe he was just trying to take a cue from his uh, dear old dad, you know, that he wasn't going to try the dead man's float today, you know. That, would, that, was, that wasn't something he was going to do. But the strangest thing happened that day. You see, while all the other kids are doing their exercises, Elias is becoming curious. He's beginning to inch forward towards the pool. And all the parents stopped talking because all the parents had been there for these seven other sessions where they knew that this kid wasn't getting in the pool, but now he's inching forward. And so we all quietly watch, silently willing him into the water. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, he puts his feet in, and then he's in, and his trunks are in, and now he's splashing around. And, And you know what the parents did? The parents cheered. They were happy. They were clapping for him. They were so glad because they knew that he wanted to do it. All from the first session, he wanted to do it, but he just couldn't. And yet, he did. 
And the reason I think that they cheered is because everybody likes to see somebody be who they are. Everybody likes to see somebody break through and be who they are. And it was a, you know, it was a small thing. It's a small thing for my son to overcome a fear and to get into the water. But that little act and other acts like it will plant seeds in him. And with care and with nurture, they'll begin to sprout into the belief that when he gets thrown overboard, he can show up and be who God made him to be. Amen? Amen. This morning we have the opportunity to share the body and the blood of Christ. For it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed by one of his own friends that he gathered the disciples on a night called Passover, a festival where they would take an innocent lamb and they'd slaughter it for their sins to be protected. And Jesus, on that night, would set himself up as that sacrificial lamb. And he would take the bread from the table. And after breaking it and blessing it, he said, probably mysteriously, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you eat of it, remember me. And likewise, he did something probably strange again, where he took the cup and he blesses it. And he says, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. A covenant where I die for you. Where I show my love to you. And as often as you drink of it, remember me. So this day, if you've got that low-grade hum in the heart of your heart of hearts, and it's wanting to come out, I tell you, that is the Spirit needling you, inviting you to allow it to come forth. For you have a part in the body of Christ. And when you are who you are, then the body of Christ gets to participate in inviting more people to salvation. So don't stuff it. Don't hide it. Let the body and blood of Christ seed in you and grow that which God is calling out of you. We have two, three stations for communion. There, here, and up here. If you'd like to come and receive, you can come down this way and go clockwork fashion. Everything's gluten-free, so all good. Just come and receive. Amen?